calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hi, I'm Ron Rimkus with the CFA Institute, and we're here again for another Take 15 video series. Today I'm joined by John Connor of the Third Millennium Fund, uh, the Russia Fund. Uh, John, thank you, first of all, for being here. Greatly appreciate it. Um, can you please take a moment to tell our audience about your investment process and philosophy and how you apply that to the Russian uh, market? Okay, well, uh, we've had quite a bit of sector rotation over the last decade. Uh, we start looking at the macro picture and try to pick those sectors of the economy in Russia. And uh, we can also do some of these other countries, but it's mostly Russia, that we think are going to outperform for the next couple of years. And in the beginning of the decade, for example, we were heavy into telecom and um, more recently, uh, we were into steel and uh, you, uh, the fertilizer, and uh, now it's, it's mostly uh, retail and also oil and gas. Turns out the oil companies were relatively undervalued based uh, on international peers. Right, very good. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then once we pick the sectors that um, we think are going to outperform, we go and do the bottom up and try to pick the winning companies within those sectors. Okay, so you do both a top-down and a bottom-up yes. analysis? Yes. Okay. And uh, on the bottom-up, is it mostly uh, the fundamental analysis, deep fundamental analysis? Is it talking to companies? Is it uh, doing sort of exhaustive due diligence? Is it uh, more experiential, you know, trading flows, things like that? Well, we, we don't do uh, sector, we don't spread among all uh, companies in that sector. We try to pick winners. So, for example, there's six steel companies that have the liquidity and uh, market share, but we basically are in three, and that's basically um, meeting with the uh, managements. Uh, there are differences, of course. Uh, flat steel is automobile. Uh, automobile there's a lot of exports to China where they're making 25% more autos every year, a lot of high-rise, that's long steel, and then rebar, that's uh, highway construction. So we try to pick the winners. It's uh, audit, audit. Most of these companies are, uh, I mean, all of the companies we pick are PricewaterhouseCoopers, Deloitte's, and uh, um, so forth. And then we meet with the managements and we make judgments as to what we think the best companies are. Okay. Uh, it's well known that uh, Russia's population is beginning to go into decline and uh, start to shrink. Um, how do you think that will impact uh, returns uh, in the Russian stock market and your ability to pick stocks going forward? Well, um, as you know, we're uh, buoyed by a lot of immigration into um, the United States. In the case of Russia, they're losing population. Um, they are getting some net migration from Central Asia. Um, I think we're beginning to see families that are not just one child, but two and three children. I think uh, we're seeing more and more young professionals, certainly in Moscow, that are beginning to have some family growth. I take heart from that, but uh, short term, it's pretty dismal uh, demographic situa situation. So it's, it's important that they reverse this 
uh, demographic laws. Okay. Um, and when we, when we were talking beforehand, before the camera started to roll, I was really surprised to hear you talk about how free uh, the markets are in Russia. If you were to compare and contrast uh, the freedom of the markets in uh, today's Russia versus, say, today's United States, how would you compare the two and, and how free do you really think uh, the markets are? Well, I think, you know, given the fact that they were a communist country, uh, it's amazing how far they've come, how quickly. Uh, there's uh, an independent uh, regulatory agency like RSEC. They do the Q, uh, the 10 Qs and the 10 Ks, and they have annual general meetings. As I mentioned, the audits, uh, uh, the uh, audits, and um, the uh, annual, the liquidity is quite high. There's quite a bit of traffic uh, on the exchange. They've just finally had a central depository literally days ago that's getting implemented and they've uh, merged the two markets so the RTS and the MISEX are coming together. So I think liquidity is uh, getting uh, much, much stronger. You're going to get more institutional investors who can now invest in some of these middle rank companies in Russia so I think really the, the market is a meaningful market. It ranks in you know, the top 20 in the world, certainly. So uh, from a political as well as economic standpoint, how viable do you think the, the Russian model is as they move forward over the next, say, you know, 10, 20 years? Well, keep in mind that uh, Russia is more private than Italy or France. In other words, the state owns more of market cap enterprises in Italy and France than they do in Russia. Which, right? Yes, most, most people wouldn't guess that. Um, and when you get a state-owned oil company like Rosneft, it still has a very large public ownership uh, component, same with uh, Gazprom. And then most of the oil companies are totally private. Um, the, the joint venture between BP and TNK is totally private. Look Oil is totally private. Surgutnyeftegaz is totally private. Tatnyeft is totally private. So you get uh, major oil companies that are uh, wholly owned by private um, enterprise. And the same with the steel companies are all private. Steel was considered a bankrupt industry. And it was a classic, uh, in fact, in my book, Out of the Red, I feature the steel industry because it was a classic case of private capital taking old assets, the uh, old uh, open hearth furnace um, way of making steel took six hours to make a batch of steel, and now they have the electric arc and the uh, uh, other modern ways of making a batch of steel in 40 minutes. So that was all the use of the cash flow from the sales from the old way, the inefficient way to, to convert to the modern way, and that's classic uh, capitalism where the money was reinvested, and now these are considered some of the best companies in the world because they're low cost uh, steel companies and they have great export um, operating practically full capacity even given the, the um, you know the tough times in some of these economies right now going back to 2008 uh, when you know the world first experienced the financial collapse and the debt crisis um, lots of emerging markets got hit and Russia was one of them um, what uh, did that period of time, that, that taught lots of portfolio managers and analysts lots of lessons about uh, risk and, and reward and, uh, and how to analyze uh, businesses. What lessons did you take away from that period of time, specifically as you apply it to Russia? Well, there was tremendous risk, uh, and I, I blame myself, but it turns out everybody missed the, the real damaging impact, which took that market down 70%. Right. 
And, but it wasn't the risk that everybody talks about in Russia, which is corruption, lack of rule of law, and so forth. It was the fact that the uh, so-called uh, oligarchs who had, uh, they trust nobody, and this is part of the uh, lesson here, is we take diversification for granted, but these guys had concentrated their wealth in their own companies and then borrowed heavily against their own stock and they had to dump it on their own doorstep and take the rest of us down with them to make margin calls. And uh, <laughs> so the list of billionaires in Russia went from 80-some down to 37 again overnight because they destroyed themselves. Now, you know, I guess it's hard to talk to a billionaire, but uh, none of us uh, realized that they never heard the word diversification. And we all take it for granted. But there's a risk. That's a good question because turned out to be a high risk, and it never occurred to, um, you know, our fund is fairly modest, but these major investors missed it as well. So this was something we all missed. And so as you look at diversification, um, you know, how many names do you typically carry in a portfolio? 50, 100, 25? Where do you guys fall on that? Okay, well, I was talking about diversification of their own ownership into right. their own wealth. In our case, we're, we're not diversified as stand, as we, we typically look at, about 100 companies now and invest in 40. Okay. But when I started, there were only maybe 20 investable companies. Today, there are a couple of hundred investable companies. We, we um, follow about 100, but we only invest in about 40, 42, somewhere in there. I think currently right now, because of redemptions, we're down to about 38, in fact. Okay. So uh, you've talked a little bit about, about the way you approach risk and the way you, uh, the, the sort of virtues that you look for in, in selecting your investments. How do you look at the selling process and when it's time to sell a company and move on to something better? Well, again, as we found out in 2011, despite the fact that uh, Brazil, Russia, India, and China were all growing smartly in terms of GDP growth, uh, all the money went flowing out of the emerging markets because the Americans uh, were in a panic for obvious reasons. Uh, we had tremendous uh, problems in our own economy. Uh, Europe had its problems, and uh, the housing industry in America, and all kinds of uh, uh, reasons for the panic, but uh, so the money got sucked out of um, the emerging countries and what had been liquid companies became illiquid companies. Just like that. And it's fine for people to say, well, you know, you should carry some of these small cap or, you know, uh, be patient and long term, but, you know, if you're having to make redemptions because your investors have, uh, have uh, pulled out their money in an open-end mutual fund like our fund, like you know, any fidelity fund, it's, a, it's the same kind of open-end fund. You got to sell and get out and, and fund your uh, redemption. So uh, that was a real blow. And um, a lot of these stocks that had been liquid became illiquid because of the um, reduced liquidity, reduced trading in those names. So where do you see the greatest risks and opportunities in the Russian stock market today as you look forward? Well, you know, long-term market cap is, is moving offshore. Every time one of these, uh, I was the uh, first president of Mail.ru, which is a $5 billion market cap, thanks to uh, Yuri Milner and the other people who built that business up. And the same with Yandex, which is the Google of Russia. And uh, so every time a company like that comes on stream with a market cap, you know, there's a $10 billion addition and that, means, relatively speaking, there's less um, 
market cap in America. And more and more every year in China and Russia and Brazil and India and these other emerging markets, uh, market cap is moving offshore from the United States. So I think long term, uh, American um, money managers are going to have to uh, do more investing in foreign names. I think doing it through a mutual fund makes a lot of sense because it's hard for people to pick stocks in a place like Russia or China or India or uh, for that matter. And um, I think that long term, it's uh, becoming more and more of a global investing and uh, less and less. Although I have to say a lot of the best stocks, uh, as far as I'm concerned in my own private portfolio, are the P&Gs and the other American multinationals who are, who are doing more and more in um, these countries I'm talking about. Uh, General Motors, for example, they sell more Buicks in China now than they do anywhere else. So I think all of our big companies are becoming more multinational. So it's becoming more of a global economy, whether you're doing um, emerging market investments or back home in America with companies who are multinational. Absolutely. Well, uh, John, uh, once again, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for joining us as well. And don't forget to check out all of our content on the CFA library at cfainstitute.org. Thank you. Copyright 2012 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.